I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. And uh, in addition, I'm going to have us uh, skip down in, uh, at the end of that and uh, look also at verse 14 and then also at verse 21. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of those realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he had said above, you, are, you, need, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Verse 14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Verse 21, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So ends the reading of God's word. Grant, O Lord, uh, your blessing upon your word that has been read. Uh, Give us your spirit. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. By your grace and your mercy, please do this, O Lord. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. This uh, time of year is usually the beginning, as we will see tonight in the evening service of that season in which we think together as a congregation about the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I thought that I would uh, speak this morning from Hebrews chapter 10 because it presents the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as addressing a particular issue or problem. 
I'd like to speak to that problem. Uh, That is the problem of the consciousness of sin. Or we might say, the problem of conscience. The problem of conscience. Uh, Jesus Christ came into the world to deal with our sin in such a way so that there can be a final solution to the problem of the consciousness or the conscience as it is laden with guilt for sin. And we read about the coming of Christ to deal with that in verses 5 and 7. When Christ came into the world, verse 5, verse 7, Lo, I have come. And why has he come? He has come to deal with the problem of our consciousness of sin. So I'd like to talk to you this morning about this under three headings. First of all, the conscience held captive, verses 1 through 4. Secondly, the conscience redeemed, verses 5 through 7. And thirdly, the conscience released from guilt and invited into the presence of God uh, uh, with joy, uh, verses 8 through 10. First of all, the conscience held captive. In verses uh, 1 through 4, the writer of the book of Hebrews is speaking about the sacrificial system that we have seen at work in the Old Testament and the offering of sacrifices continually every year. And he says of those sacrifices that are offered, burnt offerings, sin offerings, that they are not able to make perfect those who draw near. Speaking of the Old Testament people of God, as they drew near to God in the temple, as they came to the temple with their offerings, They brought sacrificial uh, animals, and they placed those sacrifices, those animals, on the altar. They laid their hands on that animal, and the animal was slain on the altar, and their blood was sprinkled on the sides of that altar. And this worship, this drawing near, was ordained by God under the law, but... He says of it, the author of Hebrews does, that it is not able to make perfect those who draw near. And in verse 2, we read that, uh, that they uh, would have ceased to be offered if the worshipers had once been cleansed. So again, this idea of the cleansing of the worshipers' consciousness of sin. Uh, We come into the presence of God, who is holy, and immediately we are struck and convicted and conscious of our unworthiness and our inability to approach him. And so this consciousness of sin is not cleansed, the writer says, by these offerings that are brought. And at the end of verse 2, we read, uh, they would no longer have, if, if they had been cleansed, they would no longer have any consciousness of sins. 
And then also in verse 4, notice that the author says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to remove or take away sin. And so uh, the problem that is being addressed is the problem that we all experience because we are those who have broken the commands of God who is holy. And we know that God is holy. We know that our sins deserve to be punished. And since it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin, the the conscience is not dealt with. It is not uh, finally cleansed, but yet uh, these offerings were repeated year after year. Well, what is that consciousness of sin? It is the work of God's eternal law that is at work in us who are made in his image. And it convicts us as guilty when we commit sins against God. Someone has said God's eternal law has in all ages poured itself down through the human conscience like a fountain through the channel. It has worn for itself, and in this instance, like hot lava going down a mountain gorge. When sin is committed, when you sin, And when I sin, there is a distinct recognition of it. There is a sensation of guilt that occurs. And it brings a feeling of unhappiness, but more than unhappiness, it brings a sense of criminality. It brings a sense of shame and horror when we realize it, when it comes to our minds with a freshness to us, it fills us with a sense of horror. How are we to be set free from a conscience convicted of sin? You remember that uh, King David, Psalm 51, uh, expresses many of these things that I'm speaking about. And uh, he wants, he says, Lord, hide your face from my sins. He feels that he doesn't want God to look at him. Isn't that what shame is? We only experience shame in the presence of another. And in the presence of God, we, we want to hide We don't want God to see us. We don't want to to feel that he is gazing at us. And we have the desire that he would hide his face from our sins. And another place in that same psalm, King David, convicted of his sins, cries out, Lord, blot out, blot it out, remove it. Remove it. Take it away. Blot out my iniquity. Cleanse me from sin. The perfection that the author of Hebrews speaks about when he says that it 
these sacrifices could not make the sacrifice are perfect is that that sense of 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 the ability to face a holy god the sense of being cleansed and free from guilt and so this conscience works at us it works in us how about you this morning where are you are you i don't want to assume that you are in Christ. You may not be in Christ this morning. You may come with a sense of the knowledge that God is not reconciled to you and you not to him. You may be someone who considers yourself to be in Christ and yet you may be someone who just maybe not doing so well this week. Maybe particularly for whatever reasons, not, not living the way you know the Lord would have you and you come with a sense of guilt, of conscience convicted. This is one of the things that God does as he's placed this within us, a consciousness of himself and of his holiness and of his law. How are we to deal with being in the grip of conscience before a holy God? How are we to be set free from it? It's not an easy problem. A conscience convicted is a conscience is a gives an unhappiness and a and a depressiveness about everything in life because that which is true about our primary relationship is that it is not right. Our relationship with God isn't what we know it should be. Well, the writer of Hebrews wants to tell us about conscience redeemed. And so we go from conscience um, being uh, in bondage, to guilt, to conscience redeemed. And so in verses, uh, in verses 5 and following, we have the description of what God has done to set us free. Consequently, notice the word consequently. It's always sort of a pivot point in the text. So uh, since... Everything else that we have been speaking about has been unsuccessful in dealing with this. The author of Hebrews says, therefore, God acted. God acted consequently. When Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and in sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the book, in the scroll of the book. Everything else that you have tried has not been able to remove the guilt of conscience. And uh, the author of Hebrews says, well, um, uh, all of the whole of the Old Testament sacrificial system was not really what God had in mind for the removal of a conscience captive to guilt. 
He says, you take no pleasure. That word pleasure is, that, is, a, is a word that derives, that, that has something of the meaning of, of rest or delight in that. And, and, the, in the, and the death of an animal on an altar and the sprinkling of the blood of the altar, he says, you have no delight in that. And it, it does not provide permanent rest or peace or reconciliation. You take no pleasure. It is not as though God had not commanded these things to be done. He had. And he wanted his people to obediently offer sacrifices. He did. And yet here, in Psalm 40, which is being quoted by the author of Hebrews, he says that this was not God's final end or purpose. It was not what he had ultimately in mind. He had something else in mind. And that something else is the preparation of a body. A body prepared for the Son of God. A body you have prepared for me. In Psalm 40, if you were to go back and read that, you would see that uh, the psalmist uh, speaks of the uh, ear being opened, the my ear you have pierced, or my ear you have opened. And yet the writer of Hebrews changes the language to speak of a body. And so the question is why? Why did he quote it the way he did? Why did he speak of a body? And most understand it to be that the ears are that part of the body which receive instruction. The ears are that part of the body by which we hear God speak and submit and obey to God speaking. So in Isaiah chapter 40, in Isaiah chapter 50, we read of, of the servant of the Lord saying these words, Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear. He has opened my ear. He, and I was not rebellious. And so here, a part of the ear is taken for the whole. The part of the body is taken for the whole by the psalmist. And the, and the writer of Hebrews transposes that and speaks of the body that God has prepared. A body or a human nature prepared for the Son of God. A human nature prepared for the Son of God in which he will hear God speak and in which he will obey. Our confession of faith says that the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, being very and eternal God of one substance and equal to the Father, took upon himself man's nature. And he was conceived by the womb of the Virgin. He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, of her substance. And so here is the wonder of the season we are entering. That the eternal God himself prepared a human nature, a body, and a soul. And the Son of God became incarnate, that is, he assumed and took to himself and joined himself to the human nature of those he came to set free. 
And this is the wonder and the glory of this season that we are entering. In it, the Father had ordained this body and given it to the Son. The actual agent in the preparation of this body is the Holy Spirit. For Luke's gospel tells us the Holy Spirit, this is, these are words spoken by Gabriel to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And here is the beginning of the new creation. Here is the Holy Spirit who once brooded on the waters in the first creation in the womb of the Virgin Mary, creating something new. A human nature to which the Son of God was joined in a union that would enable him to hear God's commands and as man obey and give uh, obedience to and pleasure to his Father in heaven. His purpose is to do the will of God, you see. Verse 7, then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the book. And what was that will? What was that will that the Father had given to the Son to do? It was that he would learn, that he would hear, and that he would listen that he would give heed and respond to the words of the Father spoken in his ear, the words and the instruction that are written in the book of the scroll, the scroll of the book that he refers to. What is that scroll? It's everything in Scripture. And the Father and the Son were so related to one another that when the Son was conceived in the womb and born, in Bethlehem and laid in a manger. And when the son grew as a young man and as children among us, he was of that age. And as he grew and came and became older, he grew uh, in wisdom and in uh, giving his father pleasure in obedience to him. He learned obedience through what he suffered. Philippians tells us he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He was found in human form, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. And so consider the glory that was Christ before he humbled himself, and now consider the shame that was placed upon him as he humbled himself and was obedient to the Father and went to the cross. Throughout his whole life, he lived with an open ear. Throughout his whole life, he lived in absolute obedient responsiveness to the words of the Father whispered to him. He went to the cross. Why? So that the punishment that you and your conscience know that you deserve would be carried out. So that the punishment that we know that we deserve would be carried out not on 
the person of the criminal, that is you and me, but upon the one who is the substitute. Now, get this, that the punishment would be carried out not on the criminal, but on the one who is the substitute. And the substitute is the punisher himself. When that penetrates, and when you understand that, you understand what the incarnation is all about. God, the punisher, takes upon himself the punishment. And now, because he is infinite, because he is the son of God, there is an infinite worth to his obedience. There is an infinite worth to his, the punishment that he bore. And there is a full satisfaction made to divine punishment, to divine justice, so that the conscience rests upon the infinite value of Christ's death and knows and knows that it is sufficient for all who trust in him and you are set free your conscience can be set free so that brings me to the third thing conscience released he states in verses 9 and 10 that the old system of sacrifice and offerings are now done away. And by Christ having come and done the will of the Father and having borne the punishment that we deserve, by that act, he says in verse 10, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. What that means, we usually think of sanctification in the sense of something that is gradual and throughout life, but this is using the word in a little bit of a different sense. It is the idea of the cleansing or the washing in the presence of God so that you are clean in the presence of God and you have no guilt upon you because of Jesus Christ's offering of his body as a sacrifice, as an offering, that infinite once and for all sacrifice means that your conscience is sanctified. It is set free. For by a single offering, verse 14, a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And so... We uh, come today as those in great need of this, uh, this, uh, this uh, being set free. At the very instant when the holiness of God is burning with intensity and reacting against sin, the infinite pity of God is yearning with a desire 
to save the guilty sinner from the effects of his own displeasure. And this is that which enables us to be cleansed in the sight of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. God himself has satisfied his justice by substituting Jesus Christ in the place of those who believe and who, are, who belong to him. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Is there a way of redemption that could be more perfect than this? Is there anything more that God could have done than what he has done in himself bearing the punishment that we deserve? What compassion can equal the words of God the Father to the sinner, condemned to eternal punishment, having no means of redeeming himself, than these words, take my begotten, my only begotten son, and make him an offering for thyself, or the words of the son himself saying, take me, take me and ransom your soul. Those are the words of St. Anselm. What words could be more precious? What words could be more effective than God the Father saying, take my only begotten son and make him an offering for thyself? Or the words of the son, take me and ransom your soul. And so the conscience then set free is able to draw near. He's able to draw near in fellowship and communion with God. Verse 22, verse 22 of uh, this chapter. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Do you know the joy of sins forgiven? Do you know the joy of being free to approach God who is holy and coming before him with your conscience no longer plagued, no longer guilty, but coming before God boldly washed washed and clean in the sight of God. Do you know that experience of release from guilt? Do you have a conscience that rests in the satisfaction that God has given to his own justice in the death of his son? I invite you to do that. Whatever your condition, wherever, whatever you are dealing with, Will you not rest in the gift of God, of his own begotten Son? As one person has put it, whatever your knowledge, whatever your experience, there is no knowledge, there is no experience that will help you on the day when your soul is tried in the fires of judgment but the pure sense 
of guilt quenched by the pure blood of Christ. May you have the joy of knowing that you are able to enter into the presence of Christ, the presence of God, through the pure blood of Jesus Christ. Claim him, claim him, take him. He offers himself to you this morning. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, how we do thank you that you did prepare a body for the eternal Son of God in which he was able to uphold his human nature in his sufferings on the cross and provide a full and sufficient sacrifice to bear in all its fullness the wrath that we should have had poured out upon us for all eternity in hell, but that he bore it for us. How we do thank you for this. Help us to rest in it, we pray. And help us to be those who are filled with joy because we are able to enter your presence with consciences cleansed and washed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.